Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We are in the third week of our Naked Truth series. And our Father in Heaven loves us, right? Isn't He the perfect parent? He is the perfect parent. And that's why he's bringing us this series, because the perfect parent that he is, he doesn't want us to be hurt or to be harmed, to suffer brokenness. He doesn't want us to go into those experiences in life. So he gave us the truth, his word, to protect us. And that's what I love about this series. I've titled this message, Abandoned Recognition. And I want to take you back 1,967 years ago. Something is, something is rattling here. Are we okay with the sound? Good. 1,967 years ago to the ancient city of Corinth. And if we were in that city right now, and we were walking around that city, we would see that it's a vibrant, bustling city. It is a trading hub. Because of its location, it was on a winter shipping route. And it was a convenient place for these ships to stop for supplies, but also for safety. It was a Roman colony, so it carried a very strong Roman influence. Walking around that city, we would see many, many Roman temples, and the thousands upon thousands of male and female prostitutes that served and worshipped in those temples. It was a place where we would see a lot of Roman soldiers. It was a busy, vibrant city. They were on... The, the heights of fashion, the heights of trends, and they were a society that we could sum up. Anything went. Anything went. We could sum them up by saying they were a depraved, debauched society that indulged their every appetite, their every sense, without restriction. Now, I want to bring you into the church in Corinth. Paul had planted this church. It was a young church. And in this church, we would see the same representation that we would see in that city itself. There were Romans. There were Greeks. There were Jews. They were rich. They were poor. They were noble. They were military. They were freed slaves. And there's this wonderful, rich diversity of cultures and ethnicities in this young church. But there are problems in this church. Their diversity was actually causing divisions among them. They were divided on leadership issues and moral issues. And, And essentially what the problem was in the Corinth church is that all these different cultures and ethnicities were mixing things in from their culture into the ways of God. And because of that, the line of of what was of God and what was not was fudged. 
And so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to address some of these things and to clearly define the line between what is God and what is not. In fact, Paul sums up the problem in the church in Corinth with his words in chapter 3, verse 3 of his first letter to Corinthians. He says, you are worldly. He says, there's as much sexual immorality in the church as there is in your Corinthian society around you. We could sum up the problem in the Corinth church with this simple equation. They were doing Jesus plus unrighteousness instead of Jesus minus unrighteousness. Now, although this letter was written 1,967 years ago, doesn't it sound much like our modern society? You see, back then in Corinth, it was difficult to tell a believer from an unbeliever. Doesn't that sound a bit like our situation sometimes? And although Paul is writing to address a myriad of things in his letters to the Corinthian believers, the overarching thing he's addressing for them is this. He's saying you've abandoned recognition of who and what God is. And as a result, you've believed some things that are incorrect and they are leading to practices that are not righteous. And today, many of us find ourselves in a similar situation. We might be mixing things in from our culture, our society, the ways of the world, into our Christianity. We too might have that line fudged. We're going to pick up with our text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 to 20. We're picking up in Paul's letter here where he's answering a question they have asked him about sex. Basically, they are wanting to know what is okay and what is not with God. You see, there were some believers in that Corinthian church that had believed that because they were under grace and not law, that they had the right to do anything that grace gave them a license to sin. And that feeding their sexual appetite was as simple as feeding their thirst or their hunger. There was no difference. It was a natural appetite, therefore they must feed it. And they even had a saying to justify it. Let's go to the text. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What Paul is revealing to them in his response and in his tone is that something had gone wrong in their thinking and believing about the gift of sex God has given us. And he, he drills down to the root problem in the Corinthian church and in all this confusion. A few verses earlier than, chapter, than verse 12, in verse 9, he says, do not be deceived. The believers were operating under a deception. And Paul, in his response in this text, does three things. He exposes the deception, he corrects the theology, and he gives them a healthy sexual boundary. I'm going to touch on two of the main deceptions that Paul tackles in this text. The first one is confusion between what was true sexual freedom and what was false sexual freedom. The lie that they had believed was that true sexual freedom is only found in feeding our sexual appetite without any restrictions. That's true sexual freedom. And that comes through in their saying, I have the right to do anything. You see, in Corinth, all those thousands of years ago, Corinthian society had elevated sex as the major dominant appetite of the body. And, and they had labeled it as an appetite that could never be satisfied only in marriage with one partner. Doesn't that sound much like the narrative of our world today? And it's a narrative and a lie that Satan uses and exploits to great devastating effect in the lives of God's creation. The brokenness and destruction that comes about as a result. We heard some of those testimonies last week. Praise God for his work of redemption. The problem was, however, that these believers had bought into this lie. They had bought into this lie. So Paul gives them the correct theology. He says true sexual freedom is actually not being enslaved by your sexual appetite. Look at verse 12 with me. Everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial, Paul says. Everything is permissible for me. Yes, you are truly free, but I will not be enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing it to control me. Paul says, I agree with you in part. You are free in the truest sense of the word, in Christ. Yes, you're saved by grace. You're not under the law. You don't have to do the rules of do's and don'ts in Christ. 
He says, but here's the truth. Whatever dominates you, whatever controls you, you have become enslaved by. He says, you are now a slave to that appetite that's controlling you. Paul is saying to them, if you're going to let your sexual appetite run freely, unrestricted, you are actually a slave to it. So you're not truly free then, are you? And your sexual appetite is a hard taskmaster. It's never satisfied, like every other appetite we have. Right? We ate this morning, we're going to have to eat again at lunchtime. After eating at lunchtime, we're going to have to eat tonight. And we'll have to get up and do the same thing over tomorrow. Look at Romans 6, verse 15 with me. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we are free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell what you to do, tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master. That's Christ. One whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. What is the boundary Paul's giving them here with the correct theology? Well, it's self-control. Because if I'm not going to be controlled by my sexual appetite, then I need to control it. And in order for me to control my sexual drive, I need to exercise self-control. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. God has not left us without a means to control our natural appetites. Look at Galatians 5, to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and say it with me, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, when we don't understand that so-called acts of freedom actually destroy freedom, we won't see the benefit and the, and the value of self-control. We will just give in to all our whims. We will just indulge our sexual appetite the way the Corinthian society were doing the way that Christians in Corinth were now doing, because they had believed this lie. You see, like the Corinthians, you and I are daily bombarded by a societal script and narrative that says your sexual appetite is the strongest of all your natural appetites. Therefore, feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. Let it do what it wants, with who you want, when you want, how you want, as much as you want. Your body, your rules. Now we are free in Christ. We are free in the truest sense. We are free to choose, you and I, whether we're going to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. 
you and I are free in Christ in the truest sense. We can choose whether we want to be a slave to our sex drive or a slave to what sexual purity looks like in Christ. We get to choose that. Isn't that amazing? We have this gift. And we've been fully equipped by God through His Spirit to control our sex drive. And if you and I have a problem in that area in our lives, if, if we are enslaved to the appetite of our, our sex drive, then we have a relational problem with God. If we fix the relational problem with God, we will be empowered by His Spirit to exercise self-control and say to our natural sexual appetite, no. Second deception. Sexual immorality is harmless. This is the other deception that the Corinthian believers were under. The word used there for sexual immorality means any sexual sin. Not just sexual intercourse with penetration. Any sexual sin. And it actually carries the connotation of surrendering sexual purity. So in any area where you've surrendered sexual purity, that equals sexual immorality in the eyes of God. In Corinth, all those years ago, there was this societal perception that what you did in and through your body had no moral relevance, no spiritual consequence or relevance, was the lie that the believers in Corinth had now taken. Isn't this true of our culture today? Hasn't this thinking permeated the church today? You see, the, the, the deception these Corinthian believers had succumbed to was I can play outside the bounds of God's design and gift for sex without consequence, without any real consequence because I'm under grace. Correct theology Paul gives them, your bodies are members of Christ himself. And he, and he shares three things with them on this theology. He says your body is more than your appetites. You need to distinguish and, and differentiate between your body and its appetites. Paul says there's a difference. Jesus, in Matthew 6, verse 25, in his own words, said, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He said the body is more. It's more than your appetites. Jesus referred to his own body as something more. Look at this scripture with me in John 2, verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. You see, the Lord 
The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body to save, sanctify and raise it. Jesus is in his body. His body is not in the tomb. He's in heaven with his body. We too will be raised in our bodies with him. Then he says, don't you know, your body is a part of Christ himself. In other words, he's saying, you as an individual, you are a limb of Christ's own body. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are, that's speaking about every believer, the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. We are members of Christ's body himself. And he goes on to say, and the act of sex has a very unique consequence. He says, you become one flesh through the act of sex with whomever you are having sex with. Look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 16. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin, Paul is saying. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. He's quoting from Genesis 2 verse 24, where God says, for this reason a man and a woman shall be joined, so that the two become one flesh. That's God's design for sexual purity. It's expressed, and the gift of sex was given to be used in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. And he says, Paul is saying to them, you've abandoned recognition of who you are in Christ and who he is in you. You are joined to Christ, you're one. And more than that, you are a member of the entire body of Christ. So whatever you join your body to sexually, you are not only joining Christ to, but you're joining the entire body of Christ to it. And Paul says you've abandoned recognition of who and what God is if you are behaving that way. And he says, don't you know that you're your own? You're not your own. You were bought by Christ to Christ. We know that in ancient Corinth, there was this practice of purchasing slaves. And if a, and if a master purchased a slave, you owned that whole person. You owned them lock, stock, and barrel. You didn't just own their toe or their hand. You owned the full person. And, and Paul uses this cultural analogy to show the Corinthians, how we belong to Christ. Romans 7.14 tells us that we were all slaves to sin. Romans 6.6 6 says, Jesus bought you and I out of that sin to himself through his death, resurrection, and ascension. We belong to him. And here's the thing, you and I freely chose his offer of salvation. We accepted it. We said, thank you. Yes, purchase us out of sin. Please purchase me to yourself, Lord Jesus. Jesus. 
So what is the boundary Paul is giving them? He says, treat your body as the Holy Spirit. Ah, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the boundary Paul's putting in place for them. Look at, look at verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, we cannot separate our bodies from God's spirit. I didn't come to church this morning with just my spirit. Neither did you, because I can see all your bodies. In every act you and I participate in sexually, we cannot separate what we are doing in our bodies from God. We are one. So whatever we are doing sexually, we must do acknowledging I'm joining Christ to this act and I'm joining the entire body of Christ to this act. Paul reveals to these Corinthian believers that when they participate in sexual immorality, they've abandoned recognition of who and what God is. They have abandoned recognition of who Christ is in them and who they are in Christ and in his corporate body. So he says in verse 18, run away from sexual immorality. In any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visual or written, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. He differentiates for them, the body is more than its physical appetites. Recognize that. Friends, you and I will meet temptation. It's not a matter of if, but when. And I'm focusing on our sexual appetite because that's the topic this morning. But it's in every appetite we have. We will face temptation. Now, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin for you and I to be tempted sexually. It is a sin when we allow that temptation to move us into sexual immorality. It is a sin when we give into that temptation and allow our sex drives to take us to a place that's beyond the bounds of God's design for the gift of sex in a marriage covenant between one man and one woman then it is a sin. But the temptation itself is not a sin. And he says, here's how you do it. When you stay in recognition of who and what God is, then you recognize the gift you have been given by the Spirit who dwells in you and has given you self-control and enabled you and empowered you to say to that appetite, 
I control you, you don't control me. I am free in Christ, I will not become a slave to you. He says, when you stay in recognition of who and what God is, you will recognize that your body is more than its physical appetites, that God has got a higher purpose and design for your physical body in his overall purposes. You will then treat it as sacred, as the temple of God's spirit. And friends, if we don't have healthy sexual boundaries in place in our life, practical boundaries, then when we meet temptation, and we will, we will have no way to navigate it in righteousness. Meeting temptation without healthy sexual boundaries in place in your life is a bit like trying to rebuild sandcastles as the rising tide of the sea is washing them away. It's futile. That force of that rising tide is too strong. You will be washed away in that temptation. The better thing to do is build the sandcastle outside of the tide line. Have the boundary in place so that when you meet it and you will, you've got all your checks and balances. You know, oh, 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 no, 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 I'm not going to lie on the couch with my girlfriend or my fiancé because that's not going to go to a good place, right? You're going to know, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to watch that hot, sexy, steamy sex scene in the movie because I know that that's going to start stimulating some thought which will stimulate some physical reaction, which will stimulate some sexual behavior, which might not be righteous. You will recognize that, oh, I'm reading this amazing novel, what an excellent author, and I'm reading this explicit sex scene between these two lovers, and it's harmless. No, 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 you... You put that book down, burn it. (laughs) I know you ladies, I am one of you. We love our romance novels, right? Ooh, and we will go through that sex scene for romance, right? It's not just a male problem. Paul says, Flee it in thought, behavior, whether it's visual or written. There's your boundary. Let's look at the text again together. I want you to notice something. Sometimes we must make ourselves blind to what is obvious in the text, to discern what the message of the Spirit is there for us. Sometimes we can get lost in the detail of what Paul's actually tackling. Look at those three phrases I've highlighted in bold. Three times he says, do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? We use that phrase, the implication of it, we're implying you should know. You have been told this before. 
In fact, you do know this. Do you not know? What is Paul drawing their attention to? He's saying the root issue in your problems with sexual immorality is you've abandoned recognition of the truth. You've abandoned recognition of who and what God is. You have forgotten that we are called out of the world, out of our culture, out of our societal practices. We are called to be set apart to Christ for Christ. He is coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. His instruction to you and me is, you, Chantel, get yourself ready for me. You purify yourself. I've given you all the means. My spirit does it for you. I've set you free. So why are you enslaving yourself once again to sin? He says, because you've abandoned recognition of who and what God is, it's led you into some incorrect theology. And as a result, you are practicing some things that are far from God. It's not who God is. He says, you're not supposed to be mixing the ways, the ways of sexuality in the world, You're not supposed to be mixing that stuff in with the ways of sexuality in Christ. He says these two things oppose one another. We're not supposed to be mixing them in. What is the way of sexuality in Christ? It's sexual purity. It's not sexual immorality. It's sexual purity. Operating and using the gift of sex in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. Paul says to the Corinthians, it's not supposed to be Jesus plus sexual immorality. It should be Jesus minus sexual immorality. It should be Jesus plus sexual purity. Not Jesus minus sexual purity. Won't you stand with me? This might be you right now. This might be you right now. You might be in a place where you realize through the preaching of God's word this morning that you have been mixing some stuff from the world in the area of sexuality in with what God has called you to. Might be you this morning. 
I've got such good news for you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Right now, Jesus wants to meet with you. Oh, he's paid the price for the sin. And he doesn't get tired of washing us clean with his precious blood. If that's you, if you recognize, oh my word, Lord Jesus, I've abandoned recognition of who and what you are in the area of my sexuality. And I've been practicing some stuff that I see this morning grieves you. Won't you spend a moment with him? Won't you just repent? You can put it right in a moment with Jesus. Just put it right. And won't you ask for his help? Ask for his help to walk in purity in this area. Now maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe this is not a temptation area for you, sexual immorality. Maybe you've got your sex drive under control. But maybe there's another area in your life where you realize, I've been practicing some of my cultural things and and ways. I've been mixing them in with God's word and his ways. Or I've been mixing some of the ways of the world in with God's ways. And I've fudged that line of what is God and what is not. I want you to spend a moment with Jesus. Won't you put that right? Won't you make a decision this morning to leave those practices in whatever area it is and get into right standing with God? You see, when we've abandoned recognition of who and what God is, we have forgotten that He is holy, that He is sinless, that He is almighty that he is creator, that he's the perfect father who's given us his word because he doesn't want you and I to get hurt. Not because he wants to spoil our fun. So won't you put that right with Jesus? Take as long as you need this morning.